Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. The Entree Architect membership is built for you, the small firm architect. Monthly training, full access to all our business resources, and a private member forum powered by Slack. Come build a better business with hundreds of your fellow entrepreneur architects and me at Entree Architect Membership. Learn more at EntreeArchitect.com. My name is Mark R. LePage, and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise, all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. This is episode 238, and this week I'm with Sean Van Dyke, and we're talking about how to find the skilled employees you need as a small firm architect. This episode of Entree Architect Podcast is supported by our platform sponsors, ArtCat, the online resource delivering quality building material information, CAD details, BIM, specs, and so much more at ArtCat.com and FreshBooks, the cloud-based accounting software that makes running your small firm easy fast and secure. Spend less time on accounting and more time doing the work that you love. Sean Van Dyke, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. Hey, Mark, it is great to be here. I'm so excited that uh, we finally got a chance to sit down in front of these microphones and chat a little bit. Yeah, I think this is going to be fun. We chatted a little bit before we hit hit record and uh, we have a lot in common and, and this is going to be a fun conversation, I think. So before we do that, let, let me introduce you to uh, our audience here. Sean Van Dyke uh, is a construction industry business coach, mentor, and speaker. His mission is to change the way the world views trades. 
which I think we can help him with, seeing that we're architects and we can, might be able to do a little bit to help him do that. Uh, Sean provides construction business owners the operational systems and leadership strategies they need to build a profitable construction business prepared for sustainable growth. His 20 years of experience owning and operating businesses in the construction industry has equipped him with the uh, information and knowledge to develop these programs and training systems. Uh, Sean's a fine home building magazine brand ambassador, which is where I discovered you. Actually, a friend of mine, actually a member inside our Entree Architect membership, Don Zuber, found you, actually saw the article, sent it over to me. I read it. I'm like, I have to have Sean on the podcast. <laughs> Got to talk to this guy. He's okay. talking our language. So here you are. Uh, you also contribute to uh, the Journal of Light Construction, one of my favorite journals. Um, he's a featured keynote speaker, a presenter at trade shows, does all the different things. He's also an author of two books. The Paperwork Punch List, 28 Days to Streamline Your Construction Business, and coming soon in the fall of 2018, Profit First. You may have recognized that title, Profit First for Contractors, Transform Your Construction Business from a Cash-Eating Monster to a Money-Making Machine. That's coming out in the fall. That's in partnership with Michael Michalowicz. Michael was here on the podcast, episode 147, where we chatted about Profit First. Uh, and he's actually, Michael, scheduled to come back soon, hopefully. Well, he's, he is coming back. He's scheduled. He's going to talk about Clockwork, his new book. And so I can't wait for your book, Sean, The uh, Profit First for Contractors. That's going to be interesting. Um, I'm looking forward to this conversation. But before we get into what we're going to talk about, I want to know more about you. I want you to dive into your origin story. Uh, just take a minute or two to sort of look back, share your journey from where you discovered your purpose, your passion to where you find yourself today. Yeah. Wow. What a, what a great, what a great question. I, it, when I think back about it, where it really started, uh, and this might sound kind of silly, but I can remember growing up watching the Brady bunch <laughs> and Michael Brady was an architect. And from early on in my childhood, I wanted to be an architect because of Michael Brady. That does not uh, sound silly at all because half the <laughs> listeners who are listening right now are nodding their head and saying the same yeah. thing. <laughs> and I think it was partly because I was like, okay, I didn't know it then, but I, you know, I have five kids now. So I think they had a big family. They had a, I loved that house. And I think the other thing was, is when you, when you saw scenes in his office, it was perfectly clean, organized. And he was always sitting at the drafting table. And it was always when they caught him doing work, it was always very peaceful. And I realized that that was a total lie. No architect, you know, <laughs> exists like that. Their offices don't look like that. And uh, they're not at peace when they're uh, at the drafting table. But I think that's what it was from early on. I can remember, I can remember digging through the crayon box and drawing pictures of buildings um, and coloring them and and doing all sorts of things because I, I, I wanted to be an architect. And uh, as I got older, uh, I started to look at what that actually meant, you know, for, as I was getting through high school and, and uh, took drafting courses. And, and then my dad said, um, he goes, oh, you really want to do this architect thing, huh? And I was like, yeah, I think I, I, think I really do. And he goes, well, let me, um, let me introduce you to some architects. Let me just let you talk to them and see if you want to be an architect. And uh, he took me to a friend of his, uh, and I still remember I was about 16 or 17 years old. 
and I went and met with him. And this is an old, older guy in town. He designed, you know, probably the the library and the post office in the town that I grew up with. Significant buildings or whatever. And we just we had a chat, and and um, I think that he could discern very well that um, I. I probably wouldn't make a great architect for whatever reason. And he told me, he said, he goes, well, it sounds like based on what you want to do, you really want to build stuff. And I said, yeah, I, I really do. He goes, you don't want to be an architect. You want to be an engineer. And it, meaning he could just tell that I wanted to get my hands on the structural part of right, it. And right. so he kind of said, you're a maker. Yeah, yeah. And he said, what architects do uh, out of school usually is a lot of paperwork first. And, and he kind of said in order to do a lot of the building stuff that, you know, that you want to, you want to do, you'll get your hands on it much quicker as like a structural engineer, meaning you'll design the beams, you'll, you know, um, and that kind of stuff anyway. And so I thought, okay, well that sounded pretty cool too. And, uh, then I, I looked at some engineering programs and then I realized, nope, that was a much better fit for, for kind of where, where I was. And so I always say from then on, I, I was the creative guy in the engineering program instead yeah. of the yeah. math guy in the architecture program, <laughs> Yeah, you know? So, uh, so that worked out. I might, so I got my undergrad in civil engineering and then went out and in, into the, into the world, started doing that work. And, uh, while I was working as a design engineer, for several engineering uh, firms, uh, I was getting. I got my master's in structural engineering. That led to uh, other uh, structural engineering design firms. As I just kind of bounced around, and, and I was young at the time. Went and lived in Seattle for a few years, and worked out there, and moved back. I'm in Knoxville, Tennessee now, and so I moved back home to Tennessee. And just with that background and engineering background, that was not hard to was not hard to find a job. That eventually. Uh, I got a little tired of engineering because I realized, okay, I know how to design stuff, but I don't know actually how to build anything. So I gravitated towards uh, towards construction work and project management. Found myself on construction sites, and that's where it all came to. You know, everything seemed everything came into focus there. Um, was was on the construction site that led to project management, which then led to some other, uh, some other jobs, uh, eventually ended up working with a, working for a real estate developer as a construction manager there, and then left there to start my first company, which was a construction management consulting firm. Um, so that was kind of my, that's kind of how I got to where I am now, ran a couple of, had my own construction company and then worked as an executive at a, as another one. And then all of the past 20, 20 some years since I've graduated from college, man, that's, that's a, that's kind of weird to say it like that. I graduated <laughs> from college undergrad, almost, you know, 20 years ago, yeah. 21 years from now. Um, and so that's kind of where I ended up how uh, teaching other, uh, contractors about, business and doing coaching is because I've just been in and around construction and various different aspects of it since, you know, since the very early days and, and figured out in those different jobs, what I liked and what I didn't like. And I always thought that I had a lot of experience saying, Oh, I've done this and I've done this and I've done this. And my wife, uh, she, she looked at my, I was always applying for one of these other jobs or something. And I said, look, you know, I think this looks pretty good. And I got all this experience. She said, or it looks like you can't hold down a job. <laughs> and I thought, oh, and I didn't, I wouldn't have called myself an entrepreneur at the time. I thought that was something different. Now, knowing what I, I look back and I'm saying, yeah, that was a pretty typical entrepreneurial type of path. Exactly right. But yeah. 
but it took her to tell me like, this is who you are. Like, you're not going to be happy doing this thing. You're not going to be happy working these jobs. And I thought, well, I am. She's like, no, you just, this is who you are. You keep, you know, you keep going. So that's kind of how I got to where I am. A wise, a wise woman. Yes. Yes. Very much so. The worst mistake, the only mistake she's really made is just saying yes to me. Other than that, she's, <laughs> she's made very good decisions. The, the, the moment you hit that first construction site and everything sort of came into focus, what was it about being on the site where you knew that you weren't, you didn't belong in the office, you belonged out on the construction site? I tell you, it was, it was taking all of that that book knowledge and all the years of, of learning, um, on how to read a, read a set of plans and going out on the site and then watching carpenters. And I still remember, uh, uh, the guy's name. I even talked about him in one of the speeches that I gave his name was Omar and he was 20 something years old and, and Hispanic and ran a Hispanic crew. And they were, they were, um, installing all of the form work for the, uh, vertical and horizontal form work on a large post tensioned concrete, uh, structure and watching these guys with no formal education and the, the processes they had, the body, con- the body mechanics and the way that they moved around the site. I mean, they were under a lot of pressure in the schedule and they just seemed so happy doing it. And they, and I realized I couldn't, if I was on their crew with all of the experience and knowledge that I had, I would barely be qualified to, to push a broom around them because I had no idea what they were actually doing and how you do layout and how you plumb these, you know, these, we're talking the formwork for vertical columns and the rebar and all that kind of stuff. I knew what everything was, but to watch these guys work and to get to talk to them, I really realized, man, I don't know anything about building. And this is fascinating to watch these guys that don't have any formal education be able to execute like they were. And so I just, it sucked me into the trades part of it. And at that time I went home, we were, I was newly married. We had a 640 square foot house. And I said, honey, we're going to add on to the house. And she was again, a wise woman. She was like, (laughs) do you know how to do that? And I was like, yes, I'm an engineer. I can design it, you know? And she said, I know that. Can you build it? And I was like, I'm hanging around some carpenters and I'm learning from them. And, uh, uh, and that's what started. That's re- what really started my first construction business before I went out on my own. Is I made the mistake and remodeled my own house and made my wife live through that. But it was from watching those guys yeah. on the construction site realizing I have no idea how to read a tape measure, how to do layout, how to get things plumb level and square. And I was fascinated by it. So I said, again, I guess probably a typical entrepreneur. I think I'll try that. And I'll try it on my own house. Yeah, so I, that's, that's what really got me started. And it's it's and so now you have this this two pronged experience. You have the the knowledge from the books and from the office, and you have your hands on experience, um, which led you to what you're doing today. So you're you're no longer how, you don't do you still have your own construction company? No, no, this is, so the business consulting and the writing and speaking and traveling, that's the, yeah. and so the talk about that a little, cause you didn't mention what that was. So talk about that, what that is, what you're doing now. Yeah. So uh, it's funny. My, uh, I think my, uh, my, uh, like I said before, my have, or if I didn't say I have five kids and at one time, my, uh, one of my kids, when they were in second grade, the teacher asked, well, what does your dad do? 
Um, and this was just recently. And, and he said, well, um, contractors call my dad on the phone and ask him questions and he answers them and then they send him money. And I thought, yeah, that's if I could fit that on a business card, uh, that's, that's what it would be. But this is what I'm doing full time now is, uh, construction business coaching. So I only work with, uh, contractors, subcontractors, and other professionals within the construction industry. And I basically help them run a more profitable business. And, and the way to be more profitable most of the times is by streamlining their processes or creating processes that don't exist or for larger companies, helping them deal with the most difficult part of any business is the people, the leadership aspect and the mentoring and the coaching that has to go on amongst your people. I've, I always say that eventually if you're running any kind of business at all, if your business as the owner or the leader of the business doesn't become about people, then you're missing it. Cause we build stuff and architects, we design stuff and we sell services and we have all that. But in order to grow your company, if you're, if all of whatever it is that you do isn't about people, meaning the people that work with you uh, and, and for you, and then the people that you serve and your customers, if your business isn't about their needs and helping them grow, then your business is, you know, is missing out. So that's what I do now in, in the coaching and the mentoring of contractors and other building professionals is just to help them, help them run a better business. And, and it's not, it's not as um, there's some people out there that are probably thinking, oh, well, it's he's probably probably too big to answer my questions. And I'm like, no, it's sometimes I'm helping my clients just get their time cards organized so that they can bill correctly, because when they bill correctly, then they can um, they can have cash flow and cash flow is a big problem. You know, just it's it's sometimes it's some basic stuff. But um, but these uh, these business owners um, need some of the basic systems in place. Yeah. I that's, saw, I saw on your, I saw on your site that you have a button that they can talk directly to you. Just push the button. And I guess that sends a message to you to set up a call and you can, they can. Yeah. So I've, as I've got, as again, the, my, my business has really taken off of the past couple of years that I've been, been doing this. Um, and so, yeah, now that you can go to seanvandyke.com slash apply, uh, there's a, a waiting list. It used to be, you called me up, you know, or you filled out the form or whatever. It's like, okay, Hey, can you talk tomorrow? Now it's a little bit, yeah, you know, yeah. it takes a little bit more scheduling, um, uh, for that, but yeah, yeah, you can, you can, you can set up an appointment to talk to me. And I also have people now that say, okay, we do have an issue. You can set up a consulting, um, call where we can, we can jump on uh, the phone and that's a, you know, that's a, f uh, paid service, but we're going to solve specific issues. Yeah. Um, well, I'm excited to have you here. I'm excited to get to know you because, I mean, you're building a platform for uh, for contractors very similar to what we've built for Entree Architect for small firm architects. Mm -hmm. And so I think we can work together to sort of help the industry from the bottom up um, and and build a better industry for all of us. Absolutely. So I'm, I'm hoping that uh, we can continue this conversation beyond this podcast. Let's take a quick break to say thank you to our friends and platform sponsors here at Entree Architect, RCAT, and FreshBooks. Hey, are you heading to Construct in Long Beach on October 4th and 5th? It's the event for commercial building teams. 
And many of our Entree Architect friends are going to be speaking there, including Rosa Shang from Equity by Design. She's been on the show. Mike Rasika from YoungArchitect.com. He's been on the show. And the guys from Arcaspeak, our friends at Arcaspeak, are going to be there too. They're all speaking there. Neil, Cormac, and Evan are all going to be there. If you will be attending Construct, go say hi to our friends and then head over to Booth 523. Remember that number, 523, and visit the team at RCAT because RCAT is going to be there too. At Booth 523, you'll learn how RCAT can save you time and money finding the resources AEC professionals need including quality building material information, CAD details, BIM, specs, and so much more. And don't forget Charette from RCAT, which will keep you organized and will help you promote your firm and your services. And as always, everything at RCAT is free to use. And with all the time that you're saving, you can enjoy the beautiful weather while you're at Long Beach. Let RCAT help you get out of the office at RCAT.com. That's a rcat.com arcat.com rcat.com and check them out at booth 523 and tell them that Entree Architect sent you. FreshBooks makes it simple to send invoices, post your expenses automatically, track your time for your whole team, buy project and get organized with reports, communication and notifications and getting started with FreshBooks is ridiculously easy. I did it. It is easy. Most people send their first invoice seconds after starting their free trial. The same goes for time tracking, managing expenses, collaborating with contractors, and viewing financial reports. It's fast, it's easy, it's life-changing. And if you need help at any time, free award-winning customer service is just a phone call or an email away. It's your choice. And if you ever have second thoughts, don't worry. On top of our free trial for Entree Architect listeners, you will get... 30 days, money back. It's a guarantee. So you don't ever have to worry about choosing fresh books. So give it a try. It's free for 30 days. Just visit entrearchitect.com slash fresh books and then let them know that we sent you by sharing Entree Architect in the how did you hear about us section. That's entrearchitect.com slash fresh books to access your free unlimited 30 day trial. RCAT and fresh books. Please visit our platform sponsors today and thank them for supporting you, the Entree Architect community. What I want to talk about today um, is is the team, is the are the people that you're talking about. You know, um, a lot of us, and I know I've, the article that I read that I discovered you from is about the skills gap. It's it's about you know that we have a lot of work and we don't have a lot of help, and we're looking for those skilled employees to to do the work that we need done and you're you're coming from the from the from the side of the contractors i'm coming from the side of the architects we're hearing the same thing from our Mm -hmm. communities Um, and so i wanted to have that conversation about how do you do that how do you find the skilled people to do the work that we're, we're trying to do i hear it all the time from architects yeah so right there what you said is is the question that i get most from my clients as well in the industry at large too. How do you find these people? And I say, you don't, they don't exist. So we're, we're looking for things just because from my, my side of the aisle, plumbers, HVAC technicians, carpenters, electricians, masons, our society has not been 
producing them. We haven't been creating them. We haven't been encouraging and that that the the skilled trade path is just something that has kind of faded away uh, over the past few generations. So when you say, well, how do we find them? I say, you don't. You can't find something that doesn't exist. So what's the solution, Sean? What do you do? Well, we have to create them. And that's much harder. And I understand it's a longer process, but you got to get started somewhere somehow. But it's it's really no different than any other industry that has had that has faced the same or still you know facing the same issues of how do you well how do you create people? Well, you got to recruit them. You've got to give them reasons why working for you. Take the skilled trade part out of it. Um, just any business, you got to give people reasons why working for you is going to improve their future and and give them a reason to want to to work for you. So what what are the benefits? And I'm not talking traditional benefits of health benefits. I'm talking about how does my life get better by working for your firm or for your you as a as a contractor? And in this day and age, especially when when younger generations are encouraged that that college is the only answer and that none of them are going that think that they want to be in the trades or, or uh, that a career in the trades is even a lucrative career, then part of closing your own skills gap is recruiting. Meaning sometimes you got to go steal somebody. Now I know that that sounds bad, but think about like a professional ball team. They're not going to sit around and, and wait necessarily for some, one of their kids to come up through the farm system. That might be, that might be great, but they're also going to go out and recruit. They're going to say, hey, we want to go get this guy. We need to go offer him some money. We need to give him a sweet deal to come throw you know, a fastball for our team or whatever. So that's the first step, too, is if you're, if you're looking for them, they already have a job. The good people are in this economy already have a job. So you're going to have to recruit them away or steal them. And some people say, well, that's not – you know, that's not ethical. And I'm not saying doing anything unethical. I'm just saying run your business. If there's somebody out there that can help you run a better business and you need them, go get them. But if they've already got a good job, you're going to have to sweeten the deal a little bit. So, but, so that would be the first step, right? So if you, if you, if you're looking for someone, a position to fill and there aren't many out there, Go find the few that are out there and see if you can create a better opportunity for them right. at your firm so, or your company. So and, re- recruit, yeah, yeah. Recruit is the it, recruit is the first step, and the and where you go look to where these people would be, and they probably already have they already have jobs. But you don't. It's not necessarily a money thing. Gallup, uh, the Gallup uh, folks have been doing a survey of employee engagement for at least five or six years now, I think. And, um, they have shown, I, I forget what the statistics are. It's somewhere up to like, they, they show that 67% and this is across all employers, uh, all industries in the United States, but 67% of employees in the United States are not engaged in their job. I think the statistics are something like, um, 11% are actively disengaged and 50 some percent, whatever the difference is there are, are disengaged, meaning they're not, eh, they're right. just showing just up, showing up and getting a paycheck. Yeah. 11%. And I'll probably have those numbers wrong, but, but somewhere around 11, 12% are actively disengaged. Meaning they're actively doing things to detract from the workplace or whatever. Anyway, that's what I'm saying is go out and recruiting people, 
67%, two thirds of them, most likely you're going to find someone that is not happy with their job. If you can figure out what that one, and, and, and as you've probably talked about on the, on the podcast before, it's not necessarily money. It's because we, they're, they're, their boss is a jerk. He's not a, he or she is not a good leader. There's not a good culture. They're being overworked or they have no idea what's required of them or where they're going to be. So recruiting these people doesn't, won't necessarily mean that you got to throw a bunch more money at them. Sure. That could be one part of it. You just need to offer them a better, more stable place where they can, when they go home at night, they're not required to answer emails or to think about work or, you know, or, or whatever. And so the same thing applies. So it starts First step is to recruit. Yeah, and fl- uh, flex a couple of others is flexible hours to be able to uh, work on your time yeah. when you want. Uh, possible r- remote situation where they can work from home or from a different office and work for you. That's very easy for architects to do. Um, we do it with our firm, uh, and a lot of our members are doing that now. That that's a that's a transition that's happening in the in the profession. That's happening all over the world, but it's happening in the in the mm-hmm. architecture profession for sure. So if recruiting is the first step and you, so the first thing you need to do is sort of, okay, figure out what the people who have jobs are really looking for, then, then create that at your firm. So you can offer that, uh, and then go find those people. But how do you find those people? I mean, how do you, I mean, you're not going to go knocking on other offices and say, Hey, is everybody, anybody in there that, that has a job that wants a new job? How do you, I mean, how do you do, is that networking or? Yeah. I mean, it gets down to networking, and this is where where I find a lot of my clients will ask this question, whether whether it's about how do you do this or how do you do that or whatever that – and I'm always saying, well, first of all, you just ask. So if you think that there's somebody at a firm that you might want to talk to, you just need to ask somebody at that firm, how can I talk to this person? Like, we think, oh, we can't – like, I would probably not walk in the front door. <laughs> right. Well, we know people, so, but don't let them say, well, I can't do that. So I guess I don't know what, how I get in touch with the person, uh, Facebook, uh, Instagram, like send them a DM. I don't know what, just ask, yeah. Hey, and, would and, you, be, would you be interested in talking to us and local networking? And we just had, yeah. uh, um, uh, Haleli Azulai on who is a business consultant and we, the entire episode was about networking. So it's episode 235, I think. Uh, just go check that out, entrearchitect.com slash episode 235, and uh, and listen to that. And that will teach you how to network, and that network will then, you'll be able to hit your network and say, hey, I'm looking for this type of person. Who do you mm-hmm. know? And then those people will reach out to you and say, hey, I know this person who's got similar uh, requirements that you're asking for, and then they can make that introduction because you've built your network, and now that network can work for you. Um, and yeah, you can do that online or offline. That's right. And that's, that's always the first and really the easiest step is networking and asking. You just gotta, you know, you just gotta get out there and ask The the next thing that I think that, that you can do is a little bit harder. Um, but you need to advertise to your ideal employees. And again, there's a, a lot of, uh, marketing professionals that will understand this is, uh, just like you're marketing to your ideal clients, you don't really want to talk about yourself. You want to talk about your clients and solve their problems. So the same thing with this ideal employee is like you had talked about the benefits, the flexible work hours, the culture of the company. You need to advertise those because that's going to solve the problem for that person that is looking for another job. What I see all the time, and I'll 
teach my clients to try not to use this is what we see all the time is an ad says we're hiring or help wanted. Help wanted is not inspiring at all. It says, hey, I'm in charge here and I'm looking for someone to help us out. Okay, I might. I might take a look at that or we're hiring a lot of other people, 67% that aren't very happy with their job will think, well, hiring, getting hired at this place is what got me into this problem. So that's not a very inspiring message either. So we're hiring or help wanted, and that doesn't advertise to your ideal employee, but what might advertise to them is looking for freedom, question mark, Yeah. need flexible hours, question mark. Do you want to change? Uh, I don't know. Do you want to change the way uh, carpenters are viewed or or whatever? You know, that's a catch. It's a headline, right? We're advertising to you. We want to solve your problems. What problems are you looking to solve? Well, we do really high end work or we do, we have this type of, uh, these type of projects. And what comes with that is you're going to, and whatever the, this gets into copywriting, but you want to write really good copy to say, here's the problem that we can solve for you. And here's all the benefits you get when you come to work for us. See, it has very little to do. Eventually you need to get to what the job is, what the duties and responsibilities are. But initially to grab that attention when attention is so short for everybody these days is change your message and, and solve problems for your ideal employees. And they will start flocking to you. And another way to do that, and this is very difficult, this takes a lot of work and it sounds really kind of cliche, but you need to have a mission statement that speaks loudly as to who you are. And if you don't have one, you are going to be behind companies that do have a really good one because culture matters. The, the, the taste and the flavor of a company from their employees, it matters to people. And that's what I say is you want, you, you want to, know what your culture is, go talk to your employees and just ask them what they think about working there. Because whatever poster you have hanging on the wall, whatever mission statement you attempted to write in 10 minutes or whatever, it is is not going to be true. It's what your employees think about working there. That truly is your culture. And if the other problem is, is if you're the owner and you go ask people what it's like to work there, they're probably not going to tell you the truth because you're the owner. The air tastes different when the owner's in the room. Yeah. And so you really, it's a, it's a lot of hard work, but when you can get that figured out, you can bring your team together. You can, you know what the mission statement is. You can advertise that mission statement and I've seen it happen. I've seen it when you good mission statements attract good people because they're, they're not different for the sake of being different. They're, they're different because they're true. And when they encounter your website, they, they meet one of your employees and they interact with this mission statement that they've seen and they see consistency there. That's very, very attractive because a lot of people are suffering working jobs where it's just not consistent. They're walking into uh, landmines every day and they don't know what they're going to get hit with. Um, and so having a mission statement along with the culture and some employees that all are on the same page is, oh, it's refreshing. Yeah, they they hear they hear about mission statements and and um, business plans for me all the time. Our listeners, um, and so that's another reason to have a strong culture, a strong mission plan, because you can use that for recruiting. We always talk about it in terms of team building, 
uh, and growing your team and growing your culture, but to bring new people in, it's so powerful to have that opportunity. I also want to ask the people who are listening, how did you feel when Sean said, um, looking for flexible hours? What was the actual feeling that went through your body when you heard him say that as opposed to help wanted or we're hiring? Because I, when he said that, I had a feeling in me. It just made me feel better. It made me feel like I wanted to be part of that environment. And so that's a great idea and a great suggestion. Yeah, I think, I mean, we see that in advertising all of the time. And, and you know, one you want to attract really great people. Go look at some really big brands and look at how they advertise their product. Um, and they're asking questions. And the question they're asking is in is in their customers' heads, right? That's what they're at, because that's the way we're thinking. So you got to identify with this ideal employee for that position or whatever you're looking for. And I think you identify, there's there's nothing, I didn't make this up. It's just from studying marketing right. and applying it, you know, to this sort of thing, because I saw a gap there in, in the way that people were, were, were doing that. And it's been effective. So it's just asking that question that's, that your ideal employee is going to have and solving that problem. Right. We've heard, we've heard what you're talking about. We've heard it before in terms of marketing to our clients. Um, but we haven't heard it in terms of marketing to our uh, potential employees. It's a great mm -hmm. idea. It's, it's basically talking about benefits rather than features. It's yeah. not about, you know, 40 hours sitting in a chair working on a computer. You know, that's a, that's a feature. That's what the job is. That's the role and responsibility. The benefit is work when you want to work, work from home, you know, yeah, those kind of things. That, if, those are if benefits. You, yeah. What you, instead of saying what the job is, just tell them what they get when they do the job. And because right. if they want that, then they'll ask, okay, so what is the job specifically? Right. Well, the job specifically here is, and then that gets into the next, and then in the next part of like hiring is making sure that you have it written down. Like don't hire, you need to make sure that you're hiring for a position and not a personality. And this is typically what I see with a lot of smaller companies and probably apply to smaller firms is, um, uh, Sally used to work here and Sally was awesome. What did Sally do? Well, she was a architect and she was a project manager and she also answered the phones and she did a little bookkeeping and, uh, never had any problems with her, but she left. And if you actually talk to Sally, it's like, well, why did you leave? Well, I got burnt out because I was doing all these things. But the owner goes and tries to hire another Sally and someone that says they have experience with bookkeeping and, and project management and is also an architect. OK, great. So they, you, you think you're hiring for that architect position. What you're mentally doing is trying to hire another Sally. But Tim is not Sally. And you get very frustrated with him because you hired him for a position but it was all based on personality. See what I'm saying? What you need to make sure is, is, is define the position and hire for the position. And then that way you can have all sorts of different people with different personalities. I don't, I don't care if you're good at bookkeeping. That's not part of this job. Sally was doing it before, but we realized that's really not a part of this job. Here's the position. It's project architect, it's lead carpenter, it's project manager, whatever that thing is, here are the duties and responsibilities of that job. That's what we're hiring you for. And when you have that defined and you have it written down, then it be makes the conversation three months, six months, nine months 
from now when you do a performance evaluation, you get to pull it out and say, hey, let's look at the things that we hired you for and let's talk about how you're doing. Now, some personality things may come into that, but that's okay. We've got room in our firm for people with different personalities. Or you might evaluate someone and say, your personality is affecting your performance on this duty of your job. Let's talk about how we can maybe, for me, I'm a very direct person. I've had conversations with, with owners that said, you're, you're great when it comes to the numbers, but people are scared of you. That's a personality <laughs> thing. You need to learn how to present the numbers where you're not so intimidating. And I, and I realized, oh, there's room for personalities in a lot of positions. But if I fail to do the numbers part of my job, then I could get fired because I'm not doing my job. And I, I see a lot of companies skip over that step of having it written down. Um, and when someone's not performing, it actually becomes a lot easier to say, hey, remember when I hired you and we had this list? And you said you could do this list and we evaluated you and said, we think you can do it. You're not doing it. So it's 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 no hard feelings. You knew what to expect. So let's talk about how you can get better at this. And if you can't do it within the next time frame, then we have to have a very difficult conversation because you can't work here or you can't do this job. There may be another job you're qualified for here, but it takes the personality thing away from it. And don't get me wrong, personality is important. That's part of the, you know, cultural fit. But before you get there, you got to make sure, can they, are they competent, right? I think the competence comes first, the chemistry comes second. Yeah. And, and it's the, the most important things if we're in terms of the, the skills gap, um, the most important thing is retention, right? Once <laughs> you have this team that you really love, you want to make sure they stick around. Well, and, and the most important thing to do that is for the people who are sticking around to understand what their roles and responsibilities are very clearly. And the best way to do that is to write it down so that they understand what they're supposed to do. Yeah. And that's exactly what, what I teach is that's the last step. If you say, you know, if this is a three-step process, it's recruit, then it's the hiring. We want to, you know, hire, meaning they know what job they're supposed to be doing. And then it's train because training leads to retaining. You know, so there may be a four step is there is in retain, but train them on what their job is now and what the job need, what job they could be doing or can be doing in the future. And that gets into some other tactical kind of stuff. It's like, do you have an organizational chart? Can you show someone when they start as a, you know, in your maybe as a design architect or an intern or something, do they have a path to become a, a director five years, 10 years, 20 years? Could they become the CEO? Because uh, if you can define a path and, and physically show them, then you have a, a much better chance of retaining them because they see the path and they can create their own opportunities. I, I find a lot of times that this is this is the the the, the hiring method that most companies and it's probably you might find this, this similar for architects as well as contractors. But we hire, we hope and we hang on, meaning right. we hire when we get desperate. We yeah. hope that it works out and we usually hang on way too long after we know it's not going to work out. And especially for the construction industry, it's that hanging on that's destroying or really holding back the image and the respectability that some contractors should or some skilled tradesmen should be having because they've got people working in positions that don't aren't enjoying their job and they're not doing quality work. They don't look the part. They're not professionals, right? Because, But we're hanging on because we got so desperate. And we need to change that 
hire, hope, and hang on to exactly what we talked about, recruit, hire, and train. Because when you recruit the best people and you hire the right ones and train them, then you'll have a, just a different company. It's just a completely different process. Right, right. Great advice. Thank you very much. So recruit, was it again? It was re- Recruit, hire, and train. Recruit, hire, train. So that's yeah. it. And, so go ahead. Yep. Yeah. And I would say that the recruiting is, to break it down, is recruiting is advertising, right? You've got to advertise to your ideal employees. The hiring anyway, part- Before you say that, be, be, when you say advertising, you're not saying we need to, or maybe you are, put together an ad that's published somewhere that talks about that. Is that what you're talking about? Absolutely, you- yeah. Okay. Adver- ad, ad, but again, that's you, your ads, you know, to, to recruit these people, come work for yep. work, work for us looking for free, but also advertising is also your mission statement. Mm-hmm. Advertising is the way that your company interacts with its clients, right? Yeah. All of these things are advertising your company. Right. And it's you, your brand. It's your website. It's, it's your you, brand. It's your website. It's, it's your customers it's testimonials about yeah. who you are. Um, because most likely you need to find someone to fill a position. One place you could reach out to is your clients, your, your customers and say, Hey, you know what it's like to to work to work with us. We're looking to build our team. Why don't yeah. you recommend some awesome people that you know? So that's the yeah. But advertise means yeah, advertise in all all yeah. of those ways. Yeah. So that's the recruiting part. The hiring part is I say, write it down. Meaning have some policies. Here's how we hire around here. Here are the jobs. Here's the positions. This is what we call them. And here are the duties and responsibilities. So if we're successful at hiring, we've got a way to look back and evaluate that. And then after that, train them. Meaning, this sounds boring. What's the org chart look like physically? Can they see it? Have they been taught what it means and how we get from position A to position B? And is it a hierarchy type structure? I mean, we climb the ladder or is it a, in this day and age, is a, can you go a little bit uh, horizontal, take a horizontal path to get to a vertical position or whatever? People need to know this and they need to know this very soon. And the sooner that you can recruit, hire and train this whole it's and it's a mindset, then you'll you'll find that people will will stay with you longer, that you'll have more loyalty and they'll just perform their job better because when everybody knows what everybody else's job is, it's very easy to pick up the slack when someone's gone or someone moves into a new role because everybody knows what everybody else is doing. Yeah, and it moves into so many different parts of our businesses. It builds our culture. It you know builds our team. It keeps retention. It 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 leads to happier clients because your employees are happier. It's so by by going through this list of getting the right people on the team and finding those right people, which is really what we're talking about. It once they're in, it sort of blossoms into everything else that you're doing because you've sort of organized it and developed it and designed it for to, to attract the right people in the first place. Yeah. Great yeah. stuff. Great stuff. Super important. Very informative. Sean, thank you very much for hanging out with us and, and teaching us that before you go, I want you to answer the same question that I ask everybody here. What's one thing that a small firm architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow? I would say that we'd kind of mentioned it before, but whatever the, whatever the top thing is that you're struggling with, Ask somebody, just go ask somebody how they solved it. That might, that might be the shortest, 
way, you know, shortest point between uh, two uh, two points is straight line. Just ask somebody with a little bit more experience, how did you solve this problem? Yeah. And, and for architects, for, for the community that's listening to this podcast, that's so easy because we have a Facebook group, a private Facebook group that are only architects in there. It's thriving. It is, it's you post a question in that Facebook group, you'll get 50 answers from small firm architects who are just like you who know the answer to that question. And so well, not, not only that, my guess is I have a private Facebook group as well for my clients that if you are the one that asked that question, you will be bringing relief to 50 other people that were too scared to ask that question. And that's what I found is like, there are no, everybody's struggling with the same things. Just ask, just yeah. ask. Very good. Thank you, Sean. So it's seanvandyke.com for everything Sean Van Dyke. You can just go there and you'll find everything yeah. he's doing. That's uh, S-H-A-W-N. <laughs> yes, S-H-A-W-N, Van Dyke. Um, we'll have everything on the show notes. This is episode 238. Uh, so entrearchitect.com slash episode 238. Uh, Sean's very active on social media, so you'll pretty much find him everywhere. Mostly active on Instagram. Just search Sean Van Dyke. You'll find him. Um, Sean, this was a great conversation. So thank you very much for joining us today and for sharing your knowledge here at Entree Architect Podcast. Mark, thank you so much. Okay, this is episode 238. So that's the link to share, entrearchitect.com slash episode 238. You know the deal. Go share it with a friend. Put it on Twitter. Put it on Facebook. Put it on LinkedIn. Go send it by email to a friend, entrearchitect.com slash episode 238. Please do that. That's how we're getting the message out about Entree Architect podcast and what we're doing here. I think every month we're, we, uh, we get better and better, and bigger and bigger, and more and more people know about us. And that is happening because you are sharing this link, entrearchitect.com slash episode 238. Please do that. And if you have questions about how to succeed in this profession, we have answers at Entree Architect Membership, a new masterclass expert training webinar every month, access to the entire archive of training sessions. There's now more than 30 of them covering topics for architects in business and leadership and life, access to all our business resources, including hybrid proposal, our owner architect agreement and foundations documents. They're free to members access to all our digital courses, including Get Focused, our powerful productivity course, and an invitation to join our private Entree Architect member forum powered by Slack. Can you imagine training, resources, and a private community for small firm architects? That is Entree Architect membership. Learn how to join hundreds of your fellow Entree Architects and me at Entree Architect membership join us today. I really want you to do this because this is changing lives. Go check it out. It's well worth it. It's less than $50 a month. It is changing lives. I want you to go check it out at entrearchitect.com. Go do that right now. My name is Mark R. LePage and I am an entrepreneur architect and I encourage you to go build a better business and I'll show you how so you can be a better architect. Love, learn, share what you know. Thanks for listening. See you next week.
I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us. Can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There is a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is gonna be a priority. When the job is done, we're gonna actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. (laughs) So for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like, that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.